Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be Afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Azahel at Gibeon in the battle. David is most upset about what Joab had just done to Abner, so he pronounced a curse on Joab's entire family. And this was a right judgment. This was correct because it was in accordance with God's law. Abner did not lie in wait for Azahel. Abner was not Azahel's enemy. He was not deliberately seeking Azahel's harm. It was Azahel, Joab's brother, who was seeking Abner's harm. And so Abner had to defend himself, and Azahel died for it. Now Joab wanted revenge, killed him in a, in a refuge city. And so David's curse is right. And by law, a righteous king has to condemn the lawless, or else he is not truly righteous. Second Samuel 3 and 31, David's mourning for Abner. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. So they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath, saying, God do so to me, and more also, if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them, since whatever the king did, it pleased all the, ple- all the people. For all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Now, I can just see it. I mean, if you've just imagined this moment here that's going on. Joab was there when David gave the order to mourn for Abner. Can you just see David looking at him going, mourn for Abner? <laughs> wow. 
whoa, Joab. And so he made Joab tear his clothes over it too. Tearing clothes was an act of an outward demonstration of the, the inner turmoil and grieving. Now the question comes up, why did David not immediately execute Joab for murdering Abner? First off, we have to remember the bigger picture. Let's not get like Joab and and get so limited in our vision that we can't see everything. We've got to see what David sees. In verse 1, it states that Israel had been through a long war. Now, Israel had just been convinced by Abner to reassemble back and unite under David again. And so the last thing that David wanted to do here was do something foolish that would spark the whole war all over again. He was thinking about God's promise, about God's fulfillment of David ruling over all of Israel. He was thinking of Israel's unity. That was the bigger picture, the higher priority. He was thinking of God's will first. Instead of reducing it all down to one little knucklehead that couldn't see straight and making it all about Joab, now let's go after Joab, David was wise to call for a fast, and to publicly mourn over Abner, which would bring more attention to the work that Abner had just done for the unity of Israel to unite back together again. This this was a good move. After a long war, all the tribes had finally come to an agreement. Now is not the time to rock the boat. Israel's unity took a much higher priority on the grand scheme of things than what should be done about Joab. Joab could not see how God had worked through Abner to bring about a fulfilled promise, but David had godly wisdom to fast and lament over Abner to bring the nation together instead of risking further war over punishing just one guy. Wise move. Now, don't worry, Joab's not going to get away, because later in 1 Kings 2, when David is about to die, Joab pulls another little lawless stunt. Joab tried to put another guy in as king when Solomon was supposed to be king. He tried to bypass the line. David told his guys, do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. And so Joab's punishment is coming, but all in due time when it's not going to be at the expense of dividing the entire nation again, okay? But also, I hope you noticed that over the last couple of chapters, David had been expressing compassion and forgiveness over some people who had just been his enemy, people who had just been against him. He is now expressing how he loved them and the good that they did instead of concentrating on all the bad stuff. That's what we do in our culture today. We look at people, we want to see them fall because there's one nitpicky little thing we don't like about them. So we blow all their faults out of out of whack and we strip them down until they fall and then we feel better about ourselves when we watch them trip. That's not David. David was different from other men. This is how David was set apart. What's the word for set apart? Holy. Everybody else would have killed Saul and Abner for what they had done, but David thought differently. He was being holy. I want us to remember why God chose David to be king. It says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Israel has to unite again. David knows this promise, okay? 
But when it says after God's own heart, that means that David's character was like God's character. David has similarities in the way he thought and the wisdom that he used, how he conducted himself was similar to the way that God does. When you think of Saul, a man that everybody considered so terrible, we want him dead. And David just lamented for Abner also, who had just within this chapter turned from being an enemy. So what we're seeing here is David is thinking like God. What am am I getting at? God sees people who were once his enemy, but when they turn and come back, then he loves them and he forgives them. That's why David is doing this. Why would David lament and do such a thing with such bad, bad people? Why would David lament and cry for evil, wicked people? Because David is giving us a biblical picture so that we can understand how God would do the very same thing for us, who once were God's enemy, but we turned, and God forgave and loved us. Jeremiah 31 and 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Isn't that wonderful? How people who were once an enemy, that says they broke the covenant. I was a husband to them, says the Lord, a spiritual husband. They broke it. It's like, we cheated on you, but whatever, we don't care. And he's like, well, I'll just make a new covenant and you're going to be mine again. You ever have somebody look at you and say, you know what? You're mine. You're one of mine. And you felt like you belong because that meant they they had affection for you. The Lord has affection for his people. David was thinking like the Lord. Abner and Saul were once enemies, but they did turn. They broke covenant. They broke promises. They broke a lot of things and caused a lot of damage against David as an enemy. But because they turned, David lamented for them and expressed his grief, his affection for them. That's how the Lord thinks of you and I. It's amazing for the Lord to look at the Jews who in their lawlessness broke their covenant with him, but still loved them enough to want to make a new covenant with them anyway calling them my people. That's exciting to me. Even as a Gentile, I'm not Jewish, but I'm grafted into the Jewish blessings. And I messed up and I was the Lord's enemy, but the Lord loves me enough to say, hey, I'll make a new covenant. I'm going to tie you into it because I want you to be mine. And so if David's heart was like the Lord's in this chapter, then what is this chapter trying to tell us today about God's character? If David is a mirror, kind of, of what the Lord is like, then what's the Bible trying to tell us? It says that even though you have made many willful and damaging mistakes, even though you have done selfish and terrible things in your life, even though you had been one massive enemy to God, you were once God's rival enemy, and God's law wanted you dead, even still, if you will repent, which means turn around, repent of your sins and turn the other way, then God will forgive a low-down sinner like me. If you want to know what God is like, then just look at what David was like, and then you can understand how God sees us. Even though we sinned against his authority, 
even though we have spoken with a disrespectful tone against the Lord God, whenever bad things happen, we shake our fist at God and we charge in there and we go, what have you done to me? Why did you do that? Just like Joab did when he come and disrespected David. You don't talk like that to a king. Friend, let me tell you, you don't talk like that to a king. He has authority over you. You do not have authority over him. We've done all that. We have used disrespectful tones. Even though Lord Jesus is the king, we have questioned his wisdom. And why? Because we weren't able to see the bigger picture. All the work that he was doing for our benefit. Joab questioned David, why'd you do this? How dare you? Disrespectful tone, questioning the king. But Joab couldn't see everything that the king was doing. You know, when you question God, understand, you can't see what he sees. David was seeing the unification of all Israel together. That was going to bring peace. That was going to settle wars. That was going to cause a lot of good things to happen. But Joab couldn't see that. And that's why he charged in there. When you go and you rival against the Lord and you shout at him and you get angry at him and you question God, it's simply because you can't see everything he sees. You need to wait upon the Lord, okay? Even after we have done all that damage, Romans 5.8 still says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't say, you know what? I'll go die on the cross for you, but you better straighten up first. You show me some initiative, then I will go and pay your way in. That's not how we did it. While we were still sinners, while we still cheated on our spiritual husband God, while we still profaned his name, while we still spoke to him with a tone, and parents, I know you can't stand it when your kids do you that way, but we did it to God, even while we were doing that. He still went and died for us while we were still in that state of sinfulness. So let me ask the question again. How come David did not immediately condemn Joab? Well, how come God did not immediately condemn you? Puts it in perspective now, doesn't it? It was wiser. He sees more than we do. My friends, do not question the king. Do not question him. Ask him, Lord, Can you help me understand? I don't understand. Lord, if it's my place to understand, please help me. But Lord, I will trust in you. But don't question him. What do you think you've done? How could you do such a thing? Don't don't talk to him like that. He's wiser than we are, and it is not our place. It's no more our place than it was Joab's place to charge in at David like that. Friends, this world, though, will limit your vision. It will give you Bitter, limited vision that you can't see any further than your hand because our world is trying to make you mad. Turn on the news. You'll see it in five seconds. The world is trying to make you fearful. Don't be like Joab. Put your bitter feelings aside because I'm telling you, if you don't, then you will not be able to see all the great work that the Lord God is doing right in front of you. You'll miss it. The glory will come and go, and you'll never know it ever happened. And you don't want to miss what God is doing in these here last days. You don't want to miss it because more people are going to get saved in these last days than has ever been saved in the entire human history of mankind. More people than ever has ever been saved, ever, are going to get saved in your lifetime. Don't miss it. Don't get so bent up on 
politics and the news media and what the guys in the other aisle are saying about you. So that makes you mad at that. You get caught up in that. You're going to miss it. Don't miss the big picture over a few knuckleheads. David wouldn't do it over Joab. You don't do it over whatever's happening in your country and in the world. Don't miss the big picture. Don't miss what God is trying to do. Don't let the world close your eyes to God's work. Put your anxieties aside. Let the Lord replace it with his peace, because if you don't, you're not going to see what he's doing all around you. Let the Lord deal with the mess that's going on outside. Did God ever lose control? Did God ever say, oh, let me make a phone call to humanity. Hello, humanity. Sorry, I lost the grip. I, I, I dropped the ball. It's up to y'all now. I messed up. Bye. God never did that. God never called you to be like Christians. He called you to be like Christ. He called you to be like Jesus. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people out there who call themselves Christians who are anything but. They are not. They look like a Christian, but they're not. Joab ran with David for a long time. He was right under David as his commander. He looked like one of his men. But because of Joab's lawlessness, somebody that always looked like one of David's own actually was not. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice what? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Friends, what did Joab demonstrate in this book? Lawlessness. He had no regard for the king's authority. This is the picture of Joab in 2 Samuel. Those who look like they're close to the king, those who look like they're friends, like they're running on the king's with the king's side, but in reality, they have no regard for his authority. You notice the people in Matthew 7, hey, didn't we do this and do that and do this and this and this and this? And Jesus is like, hey, it's not based on what you do. I never knew you. You never believed in me. You never submitted to me. Yeah, you're running around looking busy doing all this stuff, saying, don't we look so Christian? Don't we look like we're the good guy? And Jesus is going to say, no, uh-uh, I didn't know you. you got to go. You've got to go. Hey, that's in the Bible. Don't write me emails over that. I didn't write it. And so you got guys like Saul and Abner, though. They were hostile enemies that caused a lot of trouble. They worked against David because David obeyed the Lord, and he exercised wisdom that God had given him. But in Saul and Abner's last days. Late in their last days, Saul and Abner turned around and ceased from being enemies. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Wow. Look at that. Now, you know, I just love how Abner was an enemy of David, but then he changed And so David made a covenant to reconcile with Abner. And from that covenant, David gave Abner a job to do. What was it he told him to do? He says, here's something I require of you. Go get my bride. Go get my bride. And he also said, go and reconcile the people back together again. Two things. Go get my bride and reconcile the people back together. 2 Corinthians 5.18 
says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, after you become saved in Jesus Christ, you get reconciled back to God, but then God gives you a job to do. Here's what I require of you, the ministry of reconciliation. You want to know what your ministry position is in the kingdom of God? It's the ministry of reconciliation. In a divided world that's all separated apart, we are supposed to go out with the gospel to bring people together, to bring people who hate each other and are divided apart into unity, into the body of Christ, into the kingdom. It is your job to teach them to reconcile with other people because God reconciled himself to you. God forgave you. God loved you. So you need to forgive all those people and love them. And that brings people together. That's your ministry. That is your ministry of reconciliation. Now, remember, David's covenant with Abner had a command in it to test Abner's authenticity, to find out if he was being real or not, to test to see if he was being genuine, to prove if if his motives were true or not. He said, one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring me my bride, my wife, bring me Michael, whom I betrothed to myself. Betrothed means engagement for marriage. It means you're absolutely committed. And even after all this time that David had been apart from Michael, it's amazing, he still wanted her back. Why did he want Michael back? Because David's heart is like God's heart to show us an illustration of God's character in Hosea 2 and 19. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me. Friends, that's good news, though. But believers can't be like Joab. We should know that God wants to betroth himself, but we can't be like Joab just trying to look like we're close to the king. I want all believers to know that our salvation covenant has come with a requirement within it, commanded by the king, which will prove our authenticity, to show whether we're being real or not. And that requirement is this, you shall not see my face until you first go get my bride. Go get my bride, whom I betrothed to myself. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Friends, the assembly of believers is known as the bride of Christ. Go get my bride. This is going to determine whether you're real or not. This is going to prove if you really mean it when you say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I belong to Jesus. I'm God's. Really? But this is a command of the king. But are you obeying it? That's what I want to ask. Or are you too filled with bitterness? Has the world got you so bent up that you cannot see all the work that the Lord is doing, even though it's right in front of you? You have the opportunity to share the gospel with so many people. And if you're not doing it, it's because you're bent up with bitterness from the world and you cannot see what God asks you to do. I'm too busy, Ray. I've just got to think, you know what? I'm too busy. That's exactly what Joab said because he couldn't see the bigger picture at hand. I'm too busy going after Abner. I got to go get Abner. I got to go on these raids. I got to do all this stuff. He could not see. Christians, let's go do our job. We have been given a job, the ministry of reconciliation, to take the gospel of Jesus to every creature, to reconcile them back together with the family of God. Go get my 
McBride. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.